Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Hour number three of our program. Welcome back. Thank you very much for for being with us. We are talking sports, and we are uh, at the Georgia Music. Uh, Georgia Music. That'd wow, be, that'd be breaking news right yeah. there. Yeah, going Let's back in time. Start over uh, at the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, fun talking to Stan Casson, wasn't that was that was good stories? Yeah, really good stories, good memories too. And uh, you know, and it's, it's events like this are cool because you get a chance to kind of go down memory lane. And you you know, as time goes by, and especially since he's worked with the Nationals and the Dodgers, you forget what a prominent figure he was for Atlanta pro sports. No, no question, no doubt. Well, I I do. I'm I'm not kidding. I I think him taking over the Braves and that. Move by Ted Turner was one of the true big moments of Georgia history. I don't know how you can say it's not. And with all due respect to Bobby Cox, but again, it was the people. It was the combination of them that yeah. just worked perfectly. Well, that was the that was the kind of the first domino, right? That 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 set it all off. And right. and to hear and, and you know and to hear Stan mention his relationship with Brian Snicker to think that that's still there today that's it's pretty cool Absolutely. i don't think there's a lot of organizations that have that kind of no. connection no and i i tell you the braves uh, stan castle left after the 2003 season they won in 2004 they won in 2005 the division went to the playoffs then they fell off and i think there was a leadership void i really do i just think it wasn't the same you know yeah. and, and again uh, I'm not trying to give Stan all the credit, and I think he would understand this as much as anyone. It, it wasn't just one person. It was the team. It was the group of Stan Caston, Sean Charles, Bobby Cox. I mean, that is a legendary – two of them are in the Hall of Fame. Stan should be. Stan probably should be in the Hall of Fame one day. I mean, he's he's had that kind of, of, uh, of career, and so – it, it's incredible of of seeing exactly you know how he's been able to to work and and do it. So it's been uh, you know it was an unbelievable trio to 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 run this baseball team and and to uh, to have them have the success that they had. It was it was just incredible. And so uh, anyway, it was great to have Stan on, and we are now going to be joined by another Hall of Famer. Ron, it's great to see you in person. I'm Bill Shanks. How are you? Have a seat there and join us. We are so glad you're here. And uh, last year, we uh, had Ron Reed on the show for a full hour uh, and had some great stories and talked about his career, and that was so fun to, to talk with him. And we are thrilled that a year later, he is going into the uh, Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. There's your mic right there. Unbelievable. Right, right there, Ron. Uh how how's it feel to be going in the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame? Oh, obviously, it's a great honor. You know, I I had, I had no idea. I was just, when when Bill called me and, and said I was going to go into the Hall of Fame, I'm thinking, wait a minute now, uh, I'm a Polish man from uh, Northern Indiana, <laughs> and what am I going into Georgia Hall of Fame for? <laughs> he says, How long have you been down here? I says, I've been down here about 55 years. He says, Well, we've we've adopted you. That's yeah, right. So I, Thank you. I appreciate it. That's right. <laughs> but it's a thrill. And some of the names in there are just uh, just unreal. Yeah. Well, and I I love it for you because it's a part of Braves history 
that is not as obviously current as the last 30, 40 years, but it's an important part of Braves history. It's the first part of Braves history. It, and, and, and as I told you when we talked last year, it's kind of before I started watching, so that's why I love learning about it. Mm-hmm. But it, it is when this team first came to Atlanta and the state of Georgia, and, and I love hearing about that. So to honor another player from that group is, is so special because, let's be honest, after your boy Phil Necro, who we all loved and miss. Oh, yeah. Ron Reed was a big part of that Atlanta Braves pitching staff for a long time. Well, I, I did. I, I got seven years in, but I remember the, the Braves moved down here from uh, Milwaukee in 1966. I was in Class A ball, and that year I went from Class A to Double A to Triple A, and I was called up in, to Braves in, in September of '66 and got my first big league start. And I'm walking in the clubhouse. Oh, these are the guys I've been watching through high school and college and all of a sudden i'm teammates with you know hammer and and, and of course nuxie was there and uh bill bruton and i'm I mean, a whole a bunch of guys that i just they were idols of mine it was a great feeling and uh i went back in triple a during 1967 season and then uh was called up in september again and then and 68 was my first full year, and that's when some of the guys were starting to retire. You know, Eddie Matthews yeah. was, was about to retire, uh, and, and a few other guys. Uh, of course, good thing you know, old Hammer was still with us for a while. Yes. Being a teammate of his for seven years, that was pretty special. But those first few years, tell me more about what a, a Braves game at like Atlanta Fulton County Stadium was like. It was a huge stadium, 50,000 seats. And even back then, even after the novelty wore off, it was still not the most crowded place in the world, right? No, it wasn't. Uh, I, the one thing I remember when I made that first start in, in 1966 in September, the walk from the dugout to the mound had to be about an $8 cab ride. I mean, it, it, it went on forever. And the, the, the foul lines were way, way away from the, where the stands were. And I said, gosh, this is a big league ballpark? I mean, this, this is really a big league ballpark. <laughs> and then you're looking around in the stands, and by in September, the Braves are pretty much out of it, and there probably wasn't 5,000 people in there. It was I mean, football season then, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, football season. <laughs> coming. I mean, you're in Southeast Conference country down here. You're, in, in September, you could forget about watching baseball most of the time. That's right. But uh, this big old stadium, and where, where are the people? There weren't that many. And then the following year, we had more people coming in in 69 when we won the division. We were pretty well crowded every at, at all times. It was pretty crowded. Yeah, I really did a good job with that. Really? Uh, but I think back then, too, you could come to the ballpark for $2. You could park the car, get get a couple of tickets, have a couple of hot dogs, a few beers, and a box of popcorn, and still have change left. <laughs> I think that's, that's kind of changed a little bit. <laughs> well, in Atlanta was different then, of course, in the late yeah. 60s than it is right now. It's very different now. Were, were you guys celebrities? We had, in the spring, before we went down to spring training, we had what was known, what was known back then, I think they still called Braves Caravan, where we went all throughout the southeast. Sure. Visiting schools, visiting uh, businesses, and trying to promote Braves baseball. They were the only team in the south back then. There was, there was nobody else, so they pretty much had the whole south. People knew who we were. But they loved listening to the Braves game on the radio. Mm. Every one of those people back then would go, hey, yeah, we heard Ernie and, and Milo last night talking about uh, Milo, Milo Hamilton was, was sure. with the Braves. I'm, I'm sure you remember that name. Of course, everybody knows Ernie. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, we 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 listen to every game. We don't ever miss it. We're, we're right there in front of our radio. We're listening to it. They didn't all come to the ballpark, but they were huge, huge mm-hmm. Braves fans. Mm-hmm. Big, big Braves fans. Well, and when I a little bit later after you had left the Braves, when uh, being from Waycross, four hours away, I, we would go about once a year. I would pray to be able to go once a year, you know. And like Skipper, though, who grew up in, in Barnesville, so that's, what, 40 miles away? We were 63 miles away from the parking lot. Okay, so so you went a little bit more often, but, uh, you know. We used to go about once a month, you know. I mean, Daddy made sure we went about once a month. and. But then when, when so many deal. games are on the radio. But now we never the... bought tickets until we got there. Oh, well, yeah. you, could, you had no problem. Yeah, it wasn't a big deal. You <laughs> have to worry about scalpers. There weren't any of those around. <laughs> when you said I look around, there was nobody in the stands. I was thinking, I was. I was there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just interesting to think about because that stadium, whenever they retrofitted it to bring the dugouts in a little bit, uh, you look at those old pictures in the late 60s, and it's like, it looks like Oakland. Yeah. Oakland does now of how that. Well, remember, Ted put the picnic area in there. Yeah, I guess so. Just, yeah, that's right. so much room. That's where the wrestling used to be, too, was the yep. picnic area sure over, over there. But, well, and you mentioned in 1969. 1969 had to be an unbelievable year. 26-year-old Ron Reed went 18-10 with a 3.47 ERA in 36 games, 33 starts, seven complete games. Oh, how dare you. Uh, one shutout, 241 in a third innings pitched. And uh, unbelievable year there. You were a big part of that. What What do you remember about uh, the pennant chase and then into the playoffs when you had to play that that uh, New York team that had a pitcher that should have been on your team with Mr. Seaver, right? He should have been a Brave. He was a Brave for about ten minutes, I think. <laughs> I think they drafted him, and I don't know, something happened, and something illegal happened, or. Out of the ordinary happened. Right. So they ended the up. The Mets well, cheated. That's what they did. <laughs> <laughs> but during that that season, everything came together really the second half of the year. And we, I mean, we had a, we had a pretty good ball club, I and mean, we had already had gotten uh, Cleet Boyer at third, of course, Hammer and, and Rico, uh, Cha Cha, Orlando Cepeda. I mean, we had a pretty good, good unbelievable ball hitters. Club. Then we get in against the Mets, and they were known as the Miracle Mets. Miracle Mets, my. Behind, I mean, these, these guys were good. <laughs> How about that starting staff? Yeah. Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan, Jerry Kuzman, and uh, oh god, there was there was one other there was one other guy, uh, Gary Gentry. Gary Gentry. Okay. And there was one other who played one. for the Braves too, right? At he, some point, you know, Gary came over with us when I was still with the Braves. He came. Over. Okay. I mean, they could pin and their their outfield was Tommy Agee was one of the best players in the league. Cleon Jones was one of the best hitters in the league. Yeah. So that wasn't a miracle about it. They won because they were that good. Yeah. What What do you remember about the series? Uh, and and I guess that because they swept you you guys in three games. Because we kind of and and to put this in perspective for a lot of younger people that don't re- remember this, we were just talking with Stan Cassidy a few moments ago. The Braves lost three playoff games in a row in 1969. They lost three playoff games in a row in 1982. Their first playoff game win in Atlanta was in 1991 when they beat the Pittsburgh Pirates in that first series. So that was year 26 of the Braves being in Atlanta before they won a playoff game. And, of course, you guys were swept in those three games. And, and uh, uh, of course, to that big staff you were talking about. But how, how was the playoff game in Atlanta? Do you remember that in 69? I don't know why you keep breaking that 69 series <laughs> up. I've tried to forget that a long time ago. <laughs> uh, Nuxie opened up against Seaver. 
and then I pitched the second game against Kuzman. The first game, they were looking for Necro versus Tom Seaver, a two to one, one to nothing, three to two type of game. They beat us eight to six. Both teams weren't intimidated. They weren't intimidated by Nuxie, and they weren't, we weren't intimidated by Seaver. But they ended up beating us. And in the second game, I went against Kuzman. In the first inning, I got the bases loaded and nobody out. And I'm in trouble right off the get-go. So I got the next two guys out, and the third guy hit a ground ball to Felix Mian. I'm out of the inning. Takes a bad hop, jumps up, hits him in the throat, goes in the outfield, two-run score, Two runners on base, then I gave up two-run double. So I had four runs. I was behind in the first inning, and I thought I was out of it. And the rest, rest was downhill from there. Wow. And then Pat Jarvis pitched the third game, and he pitched a really good game. And uh, I can't remember. I don't know if Nolan Ryan pitched that game. I think Ryan was more in the bullpen at that time. So I Nolan Ryan won the game. Yep, he, I'm, he, I'm bringing Ryan, it up. Uh, yep, Nolan uh, Ryan. He might, yeah, I think he did start that well, game. Well, he, he came – well, Gentry pitched two innings to start. Ah, okay, that's right. And then Ryan pitched seven innings and gave up two runs on three hits, two walks, seven strikeouts. I don't know. What if was the final score of that game? Final score was seven to four. Seven. Atlanta scored two runs in the first inning, and uh, and then uh, Mets came back with uh, one in the third, two in the fourth. So uh, mm-hmm. that that was at Shea. So I guess the were the, the first two games were in Atlanta. And then, yeah. then to New York. It's, yeah, it, it's just still hard to believe in in hindsight that it took 26 years for the Braves to win a playoff, win a game. playoff game. You know, I mean, we're, we we got so spoiled in the 90s because I remember writing a column like in 2001 or so that well the Braves won the division, they're going to go to the playoffs. This is what they do, and it was such a contrast to the first part of Braves baseball when they couldn't win a playoff game. And Nuxy, you may remember this. In 82, even though you weren't with the Braves, Nuxie pitched in game one against the Cardinals. It goes five and a third in St. Louis. They call it – the Braves had the lead, and they called the game in a rain delay. And Nuxie, they called the game, came back, and Nuxie couldn't pitch at all or came back and pitched the next game. But we were one, two outs away from a win. Oh, and they called know. it, and and uh, so that could have been the first one. And who knows that they may have won that series yeah. if not for the for calling that thing. But uh, well, it's a lot of pressure on a short five game series. Yeah, you know, you get in a World Series, you got seven games. Right, that makes it a little bit easier. I mean, you're happy to be the, obviously in the World Series, but those I went through like seven playoff series. There's more pressure in those playoff series than you can imagine, because every game is so important. Oh, sure. Really, I mean, you can't get behind two games or nothing. You're you're buried just about. You you mentioned that '69 team, and it, so it was you and Phil Necro, Pat Jarvis, uh, George Stone, Stoney, yeah. Milt Pappas, yes. and Jim Britton were the were the starting pitchers. Cecil mm-hmm. Upshaw was one of the first real kind of closers in baseball, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And and who was your pitching coach on that team? Did y'all have one? Yes, we did. It was Clyde King back then, or was he came later? Okay, okay. Might might have been uh, Clyde, might have been Clyde King. Okay. Well, the coaching staff it has listed as Loom Harris is the manager, Billy Goodman, mm-hmm. Ken Silvestri, Jim Busby, Fritz Dorish, and Satchel Page. As a matter of fact, is Harry listed. Harry Dorish was was a pitching coach. Okay, that's right. It okay. was Harry Dorish. Okay, and that's right, Satchel was on that team because he had had to, to qualify for a pension, had to have so many years, and he was short one year, so the Braves got him as a player coach. Okay. And yeah, Bill, he, didn't Bill Bartholomew do that, Bill, I believe? Yes, Mr. Bartholomew did Did he that. ever come he around? Never, he never got in the game. They never, they never put him in the game. But 
Satchel had that personality when he'd come in the clubhouse and start telling stories. He'd have two or three guys around him. Before he finished the story, every player in the clubhouse was around him. <laughs> the, the man was just unbelievable. Just, you just, one of those people you could just sit here and listen to him all night. Oh, tell wow. Tell great stories of the old Negro League and how, he, how it was back then and how he got to the big leagues. Sure. It was, it was awesome. It was just what a, what a team. I've got a picture in my man cave proudly displayed with me and, and Satchel. Oh, awesome. That's yeah. great. That's great. Ron Reed is our guest, uh, former Atlanta Braves pitcher. Let's talk about Nuxie for a few moments before we go to break. Um, as we said, you and Nuxie were kind of the, the main two starting pitchers for the first part of, of Braves baseball. And people, again, another thing that people kind of lose sight of, Phil Necro didn't really become a starting pitcher and stick as a starting pitcher until he was like 26, 27 years old. It's not like this guy started at 19 and won 300-something games because he had a long right. career. Yeah. He, he kind of, I don't know if lingered or whatever, but he kind of tried to find his way and finally found that starter's role in like, what, 68 maybe perhaps? Mm-hmm. What was he like as a teammate? And I know obviously you were very close to him as a friend. It's, it, it's a little bit difficult to talk about, Nuxley, because he was a close and friend, dear friend. We were like brothers. For 55 years, you know, so it, he was special. He was a special man. But one of the big reasons why he could not make it as a starter early on because he had nobody could catch him. <laughs> not, no, but no. I mean, they, they tried. Every, Joe Torrey wanted no part of him. You know, Joe was on. He right. wanted no part of catching Nuxy. Really? Because you know, he, he knew he's going to have several pass balls every inning. You know, <laughs> and the the man that 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 started catching Nuxy and really. Got him permanently as a starter, Bob Euchre. Bob Euchre. Bob That's Uecker crazy. Was the one. Isn't that something? I've yeah. heard that. I've yeah. heard that before. That was the only person he could catch. I, th- yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's right. right. That's he right. He could catch Nuxley. He said hey, it, Nuxley, catching Nuxley was easy. You just wait for the ball to quit rolling, pick it up, throw it back. <laughs> but, yeah, he was. I think I heard Phil one time say, if not for Bob Euchre and Bruce Benedict, I would not be in the Hall of Fame. That those are the two pick catchers that really – could catch him and put him over that hump, I guess. There was one other catcher that I'm surprised Nuxley didn't mention, a young man by the name of Bob Didier. Okay. Remember that uh, name? I do, I do. We're in spring training. I don't remember. It was, I think it was 68. might have been 68 or 69. And Paul Richards was our general manager, and he came out and got called a team meeting, everybody out on the field. And he is screaming, is there anybody here in this whole organization that can catch Phil Necro? <laughs> a little voice and the boy in the back of the crowd says, yes, sir, I can. Come up here, kid. Bob Didier walks up. You know, he's no bigger in a minute. He says, you can catch him. He says, yes, sir, I can catch him. Didier was, was Nuxley's catcher that whole year, most of that year. Really? Because he, he did the best job of, of catching uh, Nuxley. Wow. And that's crazy. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. And Bob Didier was a longtime scout, and his son was a longtime scout as well. And I think his son worked with the Braves for a while. I'm trying to think of his son's name. Um, well, Mel Didier was Bob's father. Mel Didier, Mel okay. Was, was Bob's father. That's what I'm thinking of. Yes. That's what I'm thinking of. I'm right. sorry. Exactly. I'm sorry. That's right. But, but I think Bob was a scout for many years, wasn't he, I yes, believe? he stayed in baseball. I believe, he was, yeah. He could I mean, he was not an excellent hitter. I mean, I think his average was 180 or 190 that one that year that he caught. But he was out there because he could catch Nuxley and at least keep most of the runners from trying to steal on him. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, Nuxley was uh, – everybody misses him. 
That's all we can say. We yes. all, uh, if you if you had any dealings with him or just watched him from afar, you loved the man. Yes. It's just the way it was, wasn't he? Because he was the real deal, wasn't there he? There wasn't a person I ever talked to that had met Nuxley that didn't like him. There yeah. wasn't one. Yeah. And that's hard. That's hard to do in this world because there's a lot of different personalities out there. Nuxley was friends with everybody. He was great. And I saw him the week before he passed away, and. Uh, I took a bottle of wine out there, and we're, we're sitting around talking. He was all kind of hunched over in his wheelchair. And uh, I said, uh, Nuxie, I just got a message that uh, the, the Braves are playing a doubleheader tomorrow uh, tomorrow night. Uh, you're pitching the first game. I'll pitch the second game. I said, are you ready? Let's go. I'm ready. Get, where's, where's my uniform? <laughs> we had a couple of drinks, yeah. and, uh, and then uh, I said, Nuxie, if you had to do it all over again, would you do it? He says, "You dead gum right, I'd do it." And he said, "I enjoyed every minute of going out on that mound." He—that's the kind of competitor he was. He loved it. He and nobody, on it. nobody loved that uniform more than he did. did Not they? one person ever no. loved that uniform more than he. No, did. I he know. had to rip it off of him. No, no. I think that's the only way he got out of baseball. I think they finally tore it off of him. Otherwise, he'd probably might still have been pitching when he was 60. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That 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 last game at Fulton County, and I know you were a part of that. He was the first one out of the tunnel in left field, and he came out and he got on that mound, and I'm in the stands, and I'm just sitting there bawling uh, because I'm like, he he'd do it today in 1996, which means he would have been what 57, 56, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he loved that mound, and it was just so important to him, and you could tell he he was crushed by that stadium going down too. He couldn't believe they were tearing that stadium down. Yeah, yeah, he. He was one of the first guy players at the park about every day too. I mean, he just one of those things that uh, baseball and Negro were like. I mean, they're they're blood brothers. I mean, those those two go together unbelievably well. Do you think he so, knew how much Braves fans loved him? Oh, he might have suspected, but that didn't bother him. He wasn't out there. Um, he was friends with everybody, uh, and to say that he knew that everybody loved him. I, I think he probably did, but he was more—he was more of a pitcher. He wouldn't be out there in front of the people pitching in a game. He wasn't real big at going out outside of baseball. Uh, although when you met him, you loved him, and everybody did. But he wasn't looking for the crowd. He wasn't looking for the red carpet. He wasn't looking for the brass band. A lot of players are looking for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That wasn't Phil. Uh, no, if, if you came up and talked to him, he'll talk to you as long as you want to talk. But uh, he wasn't uh, one of those uh, show-offs. He, I, he's, I just he's hope it's a real deal. I, oh, no question. I, I just hope, uh, especially when uh, Glavin, Smoltz, and Maddox became the signature of pitchers for the Atlanta Braves, I always worried that Phil would kind of be lost in the background. And and uh, again, I, I um, you know I, I I'm just one that wants to continue to tell people all the time that Braves baseball didn't start in 1991. Uh, for the even, right. for the even though it wasn't very good first twenty five years, there were a lot of people, yourself included, that were loved in this state because that was our team, and th- and I'm talking about even before they were on TBS and they were America's team, they were Georgia's team then, and you know I, I've always said I, I think Mr. Scherholz doesn't like to hear me say that, Braves baseball didn't start in 1991, and and that group of players we're talking about, and especially Phil. I mean, my gosh, he was. I, mean, I loved him, and I know so many people who did where I lived, and 
and Skipper loved him, and it was, you know, I, I hope he knew that before. Now, did you? Hammer wasn't too bad on that team either. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, let, I tell you, we're going to take a break and come back and talk about Hammer, okay? Uh-huh. we got to take a commercial break. Ron Reed is with us. We are talking Braves baseball, and uh, we may talk a little Pistons basketball just for Russ's sake. You know, he, <laughs> he loves to be messing with him about loving the Pistons. Mm. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, we're at the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. And we'll take a break and be back with more sports talk here on this Friday right after this. Welcome back to our broadcast. I'm Bill Shanks with Russ Brown and Skip Seda. We are at the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. Let me remind you now, the Fan Fest is tomorrow at 1 o'clock. All of this year's inductees and several of the other inductees over the last several years are going to be here, including Buck Ballou, who will be signing his book, Inside the Hedges. He'll be here. You can buy the book and get his autograph. And uh, all of the inductees, it is free. You, the Buck's book's not free, but the admission to the Hall of Fame is free. You can get uh, an item signed, and uh, you can come see Ron Reed, who – we are thrilled to have with us on the show and, and talking Braves baseball. All right, so uh, you have uh, – we want to talk about Henry Aaron a little bit, and you have a very distinct, clear uh, connection to him because of how many times did were you pitching when he was going for those home runs? It, it was kind of crazy. I, Hank had uh, what I would probably consider five big home runs. That was home run number 500. Home run number 600, home run number 700, home run number 714, and home run number 715. Of those five games, I was a starting winning pitcher for the Braves in three of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I found out, somebody told me, and I don't know, I've never seen the, the uh, any proof of it, but I supposedly started when he hit number, home run number 17, or number 700, but I didn't get the win or, or loss that night. I got knocked out in the, early in the game or something. But I was the starting pitcher of the night. He hit 700, too, wow. which I didn't know. But uh, when he hit uh, 715, that was really special for a lot of reasons. Sure. He finished the year before with 714. So he had all winter long. And, of course, back then there's a bunch of idiots in this world that you can't ever get away from. Yeah. Even now there's out there, obviously. But uh, he got a lot of hate mail. He was a black man from the South trying to break a white icon record. And a lot of people are just against that, And which is what a shame because what a man he was. He was just a great human being. And Hammer, uh, when he hit home run 715, they thought it would take him a week, maybe two weeks before, because he'd be nervous and scared. It was the first, uh, the fourth game of the season, opening night in, in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. There were a lot of people there, obviously, but how long did it take him to tie the record? His second at bat against uh, Jack Billingham in Cincinnati. We opened up Cincinnati that year. His second at bat, he hit home run number 714 to tie. He was real nervous, wasn't he? Oh, wow. <laughs> he, yeah. he was just a... That was just a hammer. He was he was another gamer. Just you know, he was out there every day, and golly, to watch him for seven years was just a real pleasure. So so before he became Hank Aaron, who was getting ready to, and then who broke Babe Ruth's record when he was quote unquote just a teammate for, of you on the Braves. What was he like? Hank was 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 pretty quiet. I mean, you never heard him screaming and hollering in the clubhouse like you hear other people. He was very quiet. He stayed pretty much to himself. But any time any teammate went up and wanted to talk to Hank, 
he was right there and would talk about anything you wanted to talk about. He's a great teammate, really a good, a good solid teammate because you knew he was going to show the way out there on the field how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And in the clubhouse, if you had a problem, you want to talk to him, he was there. He was always there. So he was a, a, a leader uh, on that team in a different way, I guess. No question. About a lead, uh, not a – a loud leader or talk a lot leader, but right. he was a silent leader. Who who did y'all have at that point that was kind of a – did y'all have anybody like that that was kind of a vocal leader on that team or – Not not really. I, the, the, the one that probably made the most noise on that team was Pat Jarvis. Really? <laughs> J- Jabba was always uh, talking to somebody and hollering and screaming. But uh, we didn't – I don't think we really – Everybody knew Hank was our leader. Yeah. He didn't have to talk about it. He didn't have to tell everybody about it. He didn't have to say it. We knew he was our leader. Hard for someone else to be that guy when Hank Aaron was on the team, right? Exactly right. There's, yeah. Who's going to be a better man to watch than Hank? Right, right. Because I mean, he did more than just hit home runs. He was, he was a, a, a good player in other areas of the game as well, wasn't he? Very much so. And you watch – when we brought some kids up, like like Ralph uh, Gar and, and Dusty Baker, you see their, the look on their faces every time Hank was near them. They were just all wide-eyed, and they wanted to hear what he had to say. They didn't, they weren't going to do any talking. They wanted to hear what Hank had to say. Yeah. So you could tell right there he was a leader. And on the field, the worst the worst part of Hank Aaron as a ball player was probably his arm, throwing people out. And he was pretty darn good at that. Really, but he could get the jump on the ball, catch anything he he, he, he got to, um, hit every day. He was hitting line drive somewhere. Um, there were no holes in in Hank Aaron's game. Wow. And uh, the weakest part, like I say, was probably his arm, but he wasn't that bad throwing the ball either. <laughs> Ron Reed is our guest. We're talking. Uh, uh, old Braves memories here on the show. Go ahead, Skip. Oh no, I was just—I um, was going to ask you: Did that, being that he was such an icon, and I think I know the answer, did was it ever intimidating to these younger guys when they would come up that that it might have actually maybe had a reverse effect? If it was, I never noticed it. Uh, I just saw the look on their faces whenever they were around Hank. Mm-hmm. He was the man in the clubhouse. He was the leader in the clubhouse. He was the guy everybody watched on the field. That's there was no intimidation there. I don't think I don't think one of those players that came up ever was ever intimidated because Hank was out there. They just loved being on the team with Henry Aaron. That's all it was. Did he ever? Sh- and I don't really. If he did, it would be it would be a quick thing. But like, say you missed a cutoff or something like that. Would he ever show any disappointment? In his face, because I can imagine if I'm, you know, if, if I'm, you know, Dusty Baker, and Hank Aaron looks at me and goes, that that would kind of be devastating, you know. Uh, did anything like that ever happen? Or was it just to, all positive? Not to my knowledge, it, it did. Not, I, if it did, I, I never noticed. And, it. and I'm not trying to start yeah, anything. Yeah, I just, yeah, I know, I know, you know, you, just, know, I know you, you were there, man. I wasn't, yeah, you know. Yeah, and I, just, I know you wonder stuff like that. No. It, I think the kids more or less looked at him and trying to learn how to play the game. They yeah. wanted to all get better. They were out there for one thing, that's to make better players themselves yeah. and take care of their families. And that's was, what we were was, all out there for. He was so quick, wasn't he? His hitting style was so completely different than other hitters. 
If you ever watched the slow motion of a Hank Aaron swing, Hank always jumped off the back foot onto his front foot, but always kept the bat back. Hmm. Most of the hitters hit off their back foot. They, they'd plant that back foot and they'd, they'd step forward with their, with their front foot yeah. and make that swing. Hank always jumped out there, but he kept the bat back because he didn't want any pitcher to be able to throw a fastball by him. <laughs> and not one pitcher that I could ever saw. <laughs> the only pitcher I ever saw that even Hank made a comment, he's one pitcher he has trouble picking up and he didn't like facing him, of all people, was J.R. Richard, the big black pitcher that yeah. was pitching with Houston. J.R. was probably 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He was, mm-hmm. I think he was a little taller than I was. He was a hoss. And Hank said for some reason he had trouble picking up J.R. Richard. He's the only pitcher he ever faced Wow. where he, he was a little bit intimidated by. How about that? Now, he faced nothing but the best. I mean, yeah. Don Drysdale used to knock Hank down all the time, I think, <laughs> trying to I thought, you'd say, I thought you'd say Bob Gibson, really. But Gibby, too. I mean, yeah. Gibby wasn't afraid to come in on anybody yeah. either. Yeah. But uh, he's, he's the only one that uh, – and uh, but Hank <laughs> would jump out there, but he'd keep that bat back. And his hands and forearms were so strong. Yeah that he could still whip that bat through, even though all the weight was forward instead of backwards where most hitters hit off. Ron, Ron Reed is our guest. We're talking with him about the old Braves. And you guys had a lot of characters that were unbelievable hitters. I mean, you mentioned Cepeda, who came over for Torrey in the big trade with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Rico. The big boy. The big, big boy. And, and, I mean, Cleet Boyer was a heck of a ball player, wasn't he? I mean, there were some great players on that team. Cleet hit over 20 home runs with it for us. I don't think he had 20 career home runs with the Yankees all the years he played <laughs> over there. But he came over to, uh, to Atlanta, and he ended up hitting 20. That's like Davey Johnson. I, don't, I know Davey Johnson didn't have 30 home runs his whole career. One year he had 40 with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him, Lum, and Hank. All three hit 40. Yeah. Dewey, Dewey Evans, Darryl right? Evans and, yeah. and, and uh, Hank and, uh, and Davey. What was Daryl Evans like as a teammate? One of my all-time favorite people. Really? He was one of the really good guys. You talk about somebody that get down in the dirt and play hard, he was one. Really? We were talking about Eddie not having – Matthews not having the, the real good hands. Well, Daryl wasn't that the best hands as a third baseman, but he was going to get some body part in front of the ball and <laughs> knock it down. He didn't care if he had to get an ice bag on after the game. That didn't bother him. He would <laughs> knock it down and throw somebody out. And Daryl had one of those sweet swings. He oh, would, yeah. Uh, People don't realize he had over 400 home, 400 home runs in his big league career. He had a great career. He had a great career. And, and you know, I, I think I told you when I spoke with you last year that one of the reasons why I loved your baseball card as a kid was because you used to play for the Braves. And, like, Daryl Evans was with the Giants when I started watching, but he used to play for the Braves. Anybody, I remember Rico Cardi's Oakland A's card, but he used to play for the Braves, you know. And, and to – but I, I was talking to someone recently, and we were talking about Daryl Evans, and he was like, you know, Daryl Evans could have been a really big, maybe the first Atlanta Braves star if they'd have stayed with him because he, they, they loved him. He was a really good player for them. He was, and like I said, what a sweet hitter. He loved the fastball. And I got traded from the Braves, St. Louis Cardinals, in May of 70, 1975. My first start with the Cardinals was against the Braves. Really? So it's in St. Louis. So I see Daryl before the game, and he's over there laughing at me. He's got the bat, you know, and he's swinging the bat, and he's laughing. <laughs> I walked over to him. I said, Daryl, I know you're a great fastball hitter. I'm going to throw you the first pitch of fastball right down the middle of the plate, and I don't, I don't think you can hit a home run off me. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. You go ahead. You throw it there. 
I'm telling you, the first pitch I threw to him was right down the middle. He swung. He couldn't believe, but he swung hard. He hit it straight up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> when he rounded the first base and our, our shortstop caught the ball for an out, he went by me, and I won't tell you what he called me, but he, we had some laughs over that one. I'm looking at, after the game, I said, I told you I was going to throw you the first fastball. He said, I didn't think you would. Oh, that's great. That's great. Ron Reed is our guest. We are talking about the Atlanta Braves. We're going to take a break, come back, and talk about his other years in baseball and then a little bit about his days in the NBA. Yes, that's what he's going in to the Jordan Sports Hall of Fame for tonight as a two-way player. We'll take a break. Come back more with Ron Reed from the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame right after this. All right, we're back on the show. Quarter to six here on this Friday. Bill and Russ and Skipper here at the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. And Ron Reed, former Atlanta Braves pitcher, is our guest. He's going into the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame this weekend. And, again, you can meet Ron tomorrow here at the museum for the Fan Fest starting at 1 o'clock. And, again, I'm wanting to let everybody know uh, Buck Ballou will be here signing his book. So if you want a great University of Georgia book, come and meet Buck, get it signed. All right, so the Braves traded you. You mentioned the Cardinals, and then you wound up with the Phillies, and you became a relief pitcher. And you were a part of some really great Phillies teams in the late 70s. Talk about that era of your career. When I first got traded uh... – from the Cardinals over to the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, Paul Owens, our general manager, says, Ron, we just made a trade and, and got you coming over here, and uh, we are looking forward to you put, putting you in our starting rotation. And I got to thinking about that Philadelphia Philly club. They had uh, some young players on there that I was really impressed with, talking about Greg Lezinski, Mike Schmidt, uh, Gary Maddox in center, Larry Boa. At short, Dave Cash was their second baseman at that time. I mean, they had some, the, the makings of a really good team, so I was all excited. So we went to spring training, and after about the third or fourth week, Danny Ozark, who was our manager, came up to me and says, Ron, we've decided to make you a reliever. Well, I was from the old school. You were a starting pitcher, and then when your career was fading and you were put out in the bullpen, then the next step was out the back door with a pink slip in your hand. That's kind of the feeling I had. And I, my first reaction was, uh, Danny, trade me. And he said, no, 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 we don't want to. I said, no, I, I'm not, I know nothing about relief pitching. I said, I, I'm a starting pitcher, and that's where I want to be. So he calls Paul Owens over, and they start talking, and, and Paul Owens, was the general manager, says, Give us a half a year of that and try it. We want you out there with Tug McGraw and Gene Garber, and we want to make that a solid, more solid bullpen. We can bring you guys on. We'll rotate you coming in. But he's, you got a chance to be in 55, 60 games. As a starter, you're only going to be in 30 or 35. So try it. Reluctantly, I did. And when I got out in the bullpen and made those first couple of starts, I, I mean, first couple of relief pitches up, I can't, can't even speak here. First couple of appearances, I really got to like it. And being out there with old Crazy Tug and Gene Garber was really a solid reliever, as you found out later on when he came over here for the Braves. Right. Gino really helped me out of how to warm up properly. It's a whole new ball game out there. But every game, every night I came to the game, I had a chance to be in that game. And that changed my – Yeah, as a starter, you pitch one day and you got three or four days where you don't do anything. 
I would look forward to going out there and being a reliever, and it, it worked out pretty good. Um, we had a pretty good solid relief core at that time. And that is both ends of the personality spectrum, isn't it? There, Garber and on one side, and McGraw on the other. <laughs> yeah, How they, did they get along? No, they got we got along great out there. All of us, uh, we cheer. We actually cheered for each other, which is <laughs> might be a little unusual for three guys trying to be the the, the closer on a team. We, but no, we did. We, we we got along great. You're, you're the normal – you are definitely the normal one in those three, you know. Well, I don't know about that. I, uh, the one thing about it, though, uh, in fact, Danny told me and, and Paul told me later on, too, that I, I made that bullpen a little more solid. It, it helped them uh, – it helped Tug and Gino. They didn't have to come in as many games as they, as they did yeah. before. And I, I was picking up some of that slack. And, uh, well, and then to let everybody know what that type of role was back in 1976, you pitched in 59 games, but you had 128 innings. So they, they don't have that type of pitcher. Probably the closest thing for Braves fans now to equate it to is what Colin McHugh did last year for the Braves. And he, he may have had like 60 appearances and 85 innings, but it's it was different back then. I mean, really pitchers pitched a lot of innings. Well – they used me a lot of times in sixth, seventh innings, and I would finish the game. Mm-hmm. Where the, the relief pitchers now, especially the closers, they're basically ninth inning, and that's it. You know, very few of them pitch more than inning, inning, and a third. They used me a lot, and I had a really solid year in that year in '76. I think I had 120 some innings, and only gave up 80 some hits. I yep. like 40 innings more pitched than hits given up, right? Which was unbelievable for relief pitchers. Uh, you know, unbelievable for me. I can tell you that. But do you but think? Do you ever think, Ron? Okay, I mean, you still had a pretty good number of wins, including a year where you didn't start one game and you won 13, 13 games, which again tells you the difference in the role. But do you ever think that if you had stayed a starter, you may have had over 200 wins in the big leagues? I would have loved to have been a starter on that on that team. Well, you got Lefty out there, Steve yep. Carlton, yep. starting out there. And that, that that year, 76, they made a trade and got Jim Cott. They had Jim, Lom- Jim Lomborg was on that team. Mm-hmm. And a young kid by the name of Larry Christensen right. going on. They were pretty solid. To, to be the fifth starter on that team and have been the starter the whole eight years in Philadelphia with the Tet team behind me, yeah, I, I would. I don't know what I would have ended up with, but I was sure would have loved to do it. But I, I really enjoyed the relief relief role. Had team. a great had a great run, a great run, and it finished in 1984 when you were 41 years old for the Chicago White Sox, and you had a good year that year, 3.08 ERA. Did they have to run you off? Yeah, the next year, I, well, I was 0 6. I, I, you 0 6. I, I ended up getting getting beat on a lot of the close games. They had a young kid that that uh, was coming up, and they said that they wanted to go with him, and I think they looked at my age too, and. And they probably looked at that 0-6 uh, one-loss <laughs> record without looking at the ERA. Uh, I threw the ball pretty well with that, that last year. But when I got released, they said they, nobody wanted to make a trade for me, which I understood. But I got a couple of contacts and wanted me to go to AAA and maybe come back to the big leagues later on. And, you know, at 41, uh, at 41 no, I didn't want to go back to AAA. All right. Uh, we have just a few minutes left. And, and, again, part of Ron Reed's story is that he grew up in Indiana, grew up a Notre Dame fan, went to go play basketball at Notre Dame, and had to make a decision at some point about baseball or basketball. But he played in the NBA with the Detroit Pistons for two years. 
And not many people are able to say they play in the NBA and in Major League Baseball. How does that feel now at your age to look back and to be one of the few to be able to say that? I mean, I, I, that's something that – I mean, you're in an exclusive club there with one of your coaches too, Dave DeBusher, who was in that club. Yes, uh, yeah, and I made my decision when I was playing with the Pistons to, to end my basketball career. So I had to go to Dave, who did made the same decision when he had, went to uh, the White Sox and told him he was ending his baseball career because he wanted to stay <laughs> in basketball. So it helped. Uh, had, going to somebody that I already been through that, that role, uh, it, it helped a lot. I don't know. When, you know, when you're young, you're, you're looking for a, a niche in life, I guess. And I love basketball. Uh, Charlie Finley, who the owner of the Kansas City Athletics, when I was growing up, he had a farm outside of my hometown, Laporte, Indiana. And my dad knew Charlie Finley for some reason. I don't know how I met him, but he met him. And Charlie had, dad took me out to Charlie's farm and I met with Mr. Finley after my senior year in high school. And he wanted to sign me to a $25,000 bonus, which was a lot of money in 1961, obviously, to go to the minor leagues and become an Oakland, I mean, a, a Kansas City athletic. And I went, I had just gotten a full scholarship offer to the University of Notre Dame, and there was something about that lady up on that golden dome that <laughs> said, I need to go to Notre Dame and play basketball. Because basketball really was – I liked that a little more than baseball. So that's how I, I – I was basically wanted to go to the NBA, but – but your wanted, dad believed in you as a baseball my player. My dad really believed in me as a pitcher. He right. said he, he, he played sandlot ball. He said, there's something about your delivery and the way the ball moves coming up in the home plate. He said, I think you, you're crazy to give up baseball. I said, well, I'm going to try to play baseball, but I, I love basketball. So I went to Notre Dame, played basketball, got drafted by the Pistons, went up to sign my contract and, uh, in Detroit, General says, what are you going to do this summer? And I said, I want to play some baseball, but I wasn't drafted by anybody. He called the Braves in Milwaukee. A friend of his was John McHale, who was the general manager of the Braves, and signed me to a minor league deal. I went up and negotiated my basketball contract, and he said, Ron, you're our third-round draft pick. Minimum salary in the NBA is $7,500 for the year. We're going to give you $8,500. I thought I was a millionaire making $8,500 for that year. But that's where the salaries were back then. Yeah, I'm sorry we're out of time. It's great to have you back on again. Congratulations to go into the Hall of Fame. We're so proud for you, and we hope you have a great weekend. And we hope everybody will come see you tomorrow, Ron. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, Ron Reed, former Braves pitcher uh, and Detroit Pistons player as well with us here on the show. We appreciate him being with us and for you to listen as well. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show.